Our scripture reading this evening will be from Romans chapter 6. Of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts, and you do not go, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
Dear congregation, one of the constant recurring issues in the life of people is identity. And don't we see that even, even more so today than we even did 10, 20, 30 years ago? That there is so much talk in our time of a person knowing their identity. Who are you? And we hear constantly from the, from the world around us that we have to find ourselves and especially when we think about these identity crises that happen, we tend to associate them, especially with teenagers, right, who are maturing and coming into possession of their minds. And as they grow older, they begin to ask themselves, who am I? What do I believe? What are my values? Why am I here? You might say that's kind of a trigger, isn't it? When they, when they come into their uh, adult years, as they mature into adults, they begin to think about these things. But it's not just teenagers, right? It's also uh, adults. Uh, we even have the expression, right? A midlife crisis of people who begin to suddenly ask themselves, what, who am I? What, what, how am I supposed to be acting? What are my values? What are the things I value most? There are many things that... Uh, Many, many different ways that people, people come to answer these questions. One really interesting thing to do is just to go to a university campus. And you can see the different kinds of, of people that are out there. Right? And, and oftentimes it's rather heartbreaking to see, especially the young people who are coming into their adult years, desperately trying to find who they are. Here comes one person dressed all in black from top to bottom. Jet black hair, black clothing, black everything. And their faces are just as white as a sheet. And they call themselves goths. And then you see other people coming along. Here comes the athlete, right? Strong and he wears a certain kind of clothes. Right? You, you, you could pick them out. Right? And, and, and these people, they, they begin to organize themselves and to identify themselves around these, these different identities. Their interests. There, there's so many, many of these different kinds of, of people that you see. They are all anxiously seeking to belong to a group. Now, in Christian circles, we see a similar thing. With the exception that in Christian circles, we as adults and as parents tell our children what their identity is. Right? We explain to them, this is who you are. And that often becomes an issue too. As young people grow up, they begin to ask themselves, not just, who am I? But who chose this for me? If this is what I am and this is what I'm supposed to be, who's telling me this? And upon whose authority? And why should I accept it? And many young people say, I would just as soon chart my own path. I want to find my own way in life. I want to write my own story. And so they have these identity crises, don't they? And how to resolve this then? How to resolve this identity crises that happen in our life? The wisdom of the world, 
that we hear in colleges and universities and in many of our schools, right, is that you have to look within. Search within yourself. Who are you? Dig around in there. Find out who you are. What are your... What are the things that appeal to you? What are your goals in life? What are you interested in? What are you passionate about? Have your goals changed in your life? And so, young people and older ones alike are set upon this mission of rummaging around in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls for some clue as to who they are. Now, congregation, one of the biggest factors in these identity crises is the sense of belonging. To which group do you belong? Right? And you know that in our society, again, we are a groupist age. We live in a time when everybody is a member of some group. And we know that that uh, so much of our identity then comes from this group to which we belong, right? God created us as a social people. Even in Genesis 2, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. And we see people every day acting on that impulse, aren't they? Because they're seeking for some group that they can join and be a part of, that they can have that sense of belonging. People desperately search for that. It's an intense desire. We want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We want to be part of something that tells us who we are. We find our identity by being a participant in that group, by being a member of that society. So, congregation, this then is the, the crisis, you might say, that, that comes to us and that, and that really every, every person has to confront and, and uh, young people and children, uh, the message really is, 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 is very pertinent for you especially. Because as you grow into your adult years, you begin to ask these questions. Again, I, I've stated already, your parents may have handed down to you, this is who you are, this is, this is what you're about, and this is what you're supposed to be doing. These are your values. But now as you come into your teenage years, as you begin to think and ponder about these things, you begin to ask, Why? Who, who, who told me these things and, and why should I accept it? And those are critical years. Those are critical years. When you have to make a decision, as it were, on these matters and when you have to confront these issues. And that's why I, I doubly want to ask you to pay careful attention to what we talk about tonight. But of course, it touches everyone that's here. Now, as you know, this is the first question and answer of the catechism that I would like to consider with you this evening. Because the catechism gives us an answer to this question of belonging and identity. And these, these words are so familiar to us, aren't they? What is your only comfort in life and in death. And the first line, congregation, takes us straight to the heart of the issue. To whom do we belong? What, who are we? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, 
to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And really the sermon will focus very much on just that section right there. But I continue. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So far then the first question and answer of our catechism. And you see, don't you, very clearly how the catechism resolves this issue. Right? When we ask ourselves, who am I? What are my values? What do I stand for in this life? That I am not my own. That I am not my own. But I belong, and there's that belonging, that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So, congregation, the catechism now begins, and you know that the catechism is a book of comfort to the people of God. Right? It is a document written for the people of God, for the baptized people of God who are in covenant with Him. And you see that already in this language, don't you? That we belong, right? And the, and the instrument there, right, is that of a covenant, right? That God has entered into with us and sealed it to us in the waters of baptism. That we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our identity, congregation. We are Christians. We are those who belong to Jesus Christ. We are not our own. But there again, congregation, we come straight up against an objection, don't we? In fact, is there a more countercultural statement that you could make today than this one? That I am not my own. You, you take that to the universities and the schools today, right? And, and that would be what almost gets you thrown in jail, right? Because the constant teaching in the universities and the schools of our day, right, the places of learning, is that you are your own and that you should be your own. In fact, you should spend most of your life trying to find out who you are and then to live in accordance with that, right? The, 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 the secular schools today would say, you are your own. You belong to yourself. Your body belongs to you. Your soul belongs to you. And now you have, to, you have to be your own savior and to chart your own path and to write your own story and to walk in that way and to be true to yourself. Now you must have heard that before, congregation, that you need to be true to yourself. And that is the creed of our day, isn't it? That is what is written above every school Alas, it's written above many Christian schools. Let's be honest. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. And the catechism just cuts straight against that, doesn't it? I am not my own. Now, now congregation, it's, it's fine to talk about the schools and the universities today, but let's bring it right home to our hearts tonight. That's counter our own heart, isn't it? That goes counter to our own pride. Because our immediate objection, right, is that, no, I want to write my own path. Who, what right do you have to take your values and to impose them on me? You can't say, I, I, I am not my own. I belong to Christ. He is satisfied for all my sins by his precious blood. You're, you're imposing all of that on me. 
I resist that. I want to find my own self. I want to know what my own path is. Right? That's our objection. I want to blaze my own path through this world. I don't want some catechism written 400 years ago telling me who I am and telling me the path that I have to walk on. So congregation, not only is it countercultural out there, it's countercultural in here. It's countercultural in my heart. We resist this kind of... We resent it, don't we? We don't want someone else laying out the path for us and telling us what to do. So if we sit and condemn those people out there for believing that congregation, we need to, we need to look at ourselves tonight. Because this is countercultural in Covenant United Reformed Church. It's countercultural for Chris Engelsma. It's countercultural for you. This is something that doesn't sit well in our own hearts. That's how our catechism resolves this crisis. Well, let's look then at what Scripture says about this. It's one thing to have the catechism say it. But what does Scripture teach us on this point, congregation? Well, here we come to Romans 6. This is what we read together in Romans 6. And we're thinking about this crisis of identity, this crisis of belonging. How can we resolve this? And Paul writes in Romans 6 and verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Now here Paul is raising the same issue that he raised in the first verse. That if salvation is by grace, and that I do not earn God's favor by living a good life, well then, throw off all restraints, live as you like, because after all, the more you sin, the more God's grace is glorified, right? We're familiar with subjection. And so Paul's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with that objection. Should we just do whatever we want, because after all, we're not saved by what we do. Well, then he says in verse 16, let me put it in my words here. Who are you? What is your identity? Paul drives straight to the heart of that issue. In verse 16, he says, Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Right? And this is the question. This is the question. Who are you? Who are you? And congregation, notice that everyone in this verse is a slave. Did you read that? Everybody here is a slave. In Paul's teaching, you're a slave. The only difference is who's your master? Right? Who's your master? Everyone is a slave. Well, how do you know who your master is? Well, Paul says, your master is the person you obey. Right? You march to the tune of a drummer. And we know which drummer you're marching to, right? Because whoever you obey, whoever you yield yourselves to obey, and that's actually how this word could be translated, uh, in verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourself, that is, to whom you yield yourself, a slave to obey, that's your master. So everyone here is a slave, and our slave is the one that we obey. And the 
and the result then is either sin. So you have two options here. Either you're a slave of master sin, and the result of that is it leads to death. Or you are the slave of master righteousness. And so children, we have two options here, right? We have master sin here that we can be the slave of. We have master righteousness. And of course, sin and righteousness are polar opposites, right? Master sin, master righteousness. We have two masters, says Paul. Now verse 17. Paul says, but that's not who you are. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, that used to be your identity, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Paul says, you were taught. The gospel came to you. You embraced it. And your identity changed. You went away from being under master sin and you transferred your allegiance to master righteousness. Notice, both are slaves. But now, Paul says, your identity, your allegiance has changed. No longer with sin, but now with master righteousness. And notice, congregation, don't miss those words, became obedient from the heart. From the heart. In other words, you sincerely gave yourselves in heart, to use the language of the catechism, with body and soul. You gave yourselves to Christ. And verse 18 then gives us the result. And having been freed from sin or from master sin, you became slaves of righteousness or you became slaves of master righteousness. You left him behind and you joined him. Again, to use the language of the sermon tonight, you don't any longer belong to master sin. You belong to master righteousness. Paul is telling the Roman Christians this. And verse 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, he's using this analogy, right, of being a slave. Because he says that's easy for you to understand. It's easy for me to understand, right? He's using human terms. He's using human analogies because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And now, congregation, Paul comes to the, uh, you might say, the, uh, the inference that he draws. He says, this is who you are. You once were slaves of master sin. You obeyed him. Now you obey master righteousness. Now you are obedient to him. And then Paul says, now therefore live in accordance with that identity. In other words, if you belong now to master righteousness, now commit yourselves to presenting your body and soul for righteousness. Right? That's what Paul is saying. This is who you are. Now live in accordance with that. Right? That's what he says. Present your members as slaves to impurity. I'm sorry, you've left that behind, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's a bit difficult to understand, but what he's saying there is when you were a slave of master sin over here, you were free from master righteousness, right? 
Master righteousness over here had no claim on you. He couldn't, he couldn't tell you anything. Because you were a slave of master sin. You were free from master righteousness. Verse, 20, verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? All the things you committed, all the sins you committed, all the lifestyle that you lived, all the misery and wretchedness and debauchery that you committed when you were a slave of master sin. What profit did you gain from all that, says Paul? Now you're ashamed of it. You're embarrassed of all those things that you did. For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin or from master sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Master sin grinds his people into the dirt and they die. Master righteousness lays such a path before them as ennobles them and quickens them and enlivens them until one day they come to eternal life. And then the text that we've all memorized, for the wages of sin, master sin will pay you. You'll get wages from him. He's not going to make you work for free. But the wages of master sin over here, death. The free gift of God, he doesn't make you work. Master sin's going to make you work. He's going to grind you into the ground. But master righteousness over here won't make you work. Well, you will work, but it won't be to earn eternal life. That's a free gift. He gives that to you freely by his grace. And that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, congregation, that's how Scripture resolves this identity crisis. And let me ask you, congregation, is that consistent with what the Catechism said? I think you can see that, can't you? That what the Catechism is telling us is straight from the Scripture, isn't it? That we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's important to me, congregation, that you see that what the Catechism is teaching there is derived straight from the Scripture. If you don't see that, I wish you'd come speak with me and I'll try to explain it again. But the Catechism is driving that straight from that text in Romans 6. That we are slaves of someone. But what a blessing it is when we're a slave of Jesus Christ. So now I come to these points of application then. And the first question here is, who are you? What is your identity? Now congregation, how are you going to resolve that question? Again, we've already talked that the world will come and say, rummage around in your soul. Dig deep. Find out what really appeals to you. Who are you? The catechism comes and says, no. Let someone else tell you who you are. Because you'll make a mistake. You will go wrong. You will chart the wrong path. That pathway will lead to death. It will likely lead straight into the slavery of master sin. And congregation... What do we see in our world today? How much better off are the youth of our day for being told to search within yourselves to find your identity? When we have the heartbreaking situation of boys who identify as women and girls who identify as men. And this is accepted in our culture today. 
Because people are trying to find their own way. They're trying to chart their own path. And what does the scripture say? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. In other words, I'm not going to listen to him and let him tell me who I am. I'm going to find out my own. I'm going to search within my own heart. And of course the scripture says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Why would you want to look in that heart for who you are? It will lead you straight into the arms of master sin. And the end, the wages of that master is death. I think probably many of our young people have been to those corn mazes, right? Those corn mazes where you walk around in there, right? And you've got to try to find your way out, right? They, they put you in the middle of this maze and, and you have no clue, right? You go left, you go right, and then you, you right back to where you started. And you, you, how do you get out? Now suppose, dear friends, and again, young people, I really hope that you listen to me this evening. This is so critical. Suppose that above that corn maze there was somebody with one of those drones. Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Those drones, okay? And you were talking to him on the phone. He says, go right. Okay, keep going. Now turn left. And he, he's guiding you through the maze. Now suppose that you threw your phone in the... You've put it back in your pocket and said, he's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to find my own way out of this maze. I... I don't need him or her or whoever it is that can... He, he, the person up, you know, looking through the drone sees the whole thing, right? Well, congregation, this is the picture given us this evening. That God created this whole universe. The fabric of everything that we see all around us. He built it. He designed it. He's the great architect. He knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. And He now says, this is who you are. This is who you can be. This is the master to which you should enslave yourself. But foolish man says to himself, no, I'll find my way out of this maze. And I don't need the creator of the universe telling me who I am and to whom I belong. Now is that not the height of folly? And I, 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 I press that upon you young people this evening. And I press it upon all of us. But especially upon you young people. Who is in the best position to tell you which way to go and how to find your way out of that maze? The catechism comes and offers you this. You can belong to another in body and in soul, in life and in death. The world comes along and says, you can belong to this group or to that group. But congregation, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What the world is saying is you can earn the wages of master sin over here. What God is saying to you, what God is saying especially to our young people this evening, is that the wages of that master is death. You will find your way in a labyrinth of misery and untold pain and harm. And congregation, if you need proof of it, just go out there and look. Read the newspaper. Go to the schools and the universities of this, of, this, of this town, of this state, and you can see it. These people have no direction. They have no idea where they're going. They have no ground upon which to stand. And God says, here's ground you can stand on. 
I'll tell you who you are. I'll guide you out of that maze. And congregation, my second point of application, to what group do you belong? Again, the catechism comes and says, you can belong to this group. The people who have given themselves to Jesus Christ. What it comes down to then, dear friends, is some of these texts that I'd like to read with you. Remember Joshua. Joshua stood with the children of Israel right before they entered the land of Canaan. He cried out to them, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in a real sense, dear congregation, dear young people especially, God stands before you today. And he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Master sin or master righteousness. And make sure you know the wages that you earn from each one. Choose you this day. You must make a choice. You can't, you can't not make a choice. In fact, if you don't make a choice, you're, you're falling into the arms of master sin because that's going to be the natural route that you follow. That's kind of the default. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you hear the call of God tonight? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then some beautiful examples in Scripture. You remember Joseph. Think of all the opportunities, dear friends, that Joseph had in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house, trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But what does Joseph say? When confronted with the sin, uh, the sin of, of, uh, of Potiphar's wife, you remember? Listen, he says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? Congregation, that's an identity statement, isn't it? That's Joseph saying, this is who I am. I'm a slave of master righteousness. I can't do this wickedness and sin against my master. Joseph claims his identity. He claims a status. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? Moses, again, another man in Pharaoh's house with all the, all the, uh, all the future Man, what a future Moses had in the house of Pharaoh. But we're told in the book of Hebrews that Moses chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He knew the wages that he'd get with master sin. And so he rejected that. And by God's grace, he chose rather to suffer affliction, hardship, ill treatment, reproach with the people of God. Again, congregation, young people, do you see the identity statement that's there, right? Moses says, no, I belong to this group. This is my group. I belong to them. I serve master righteousness. I'm not going to stay in Egypt with all the promotion I would find there. I belong to this group. I belong to Christ. I'm looking for his reward, right? That's what it said. For he was looking to the reward. He knew the wages of sin. 
And he knew the wages of master righteousness. There's a beautiful story in Numbers chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. It's not a very familiar story, but it's such a heartwarming story, again, of this issue of belonging. But in Numbers chapter 10 and verse, uh, in verse 29, in the, in the previous section, the, you see it says there, the tribes of Israel are leaving Mount Sinai. So they're going to travel. They're going to set out for the promised land. They have not set out yet, but they're going to. And in Numbers 10, verse 29, Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he, that is Hobab, said to him, I will not come but rather will go to my own land and relatives. Verse 31, Then he said, Please, and Moses said, Please do not leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will be as eyes for us. So it will be if you go with us that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. Congregation, again, I I can just see that is exactly the situation this evening. That That is what God is calling you today. He's saying to young and old, come with us. Look around you today. You see the people of God here. We're traveling to the promised land. Come with us. Come with us. The Lord has promised good concerning us, says Moses. Come with us. Travel to the promised land with us. Be part of our group. Be part of the group that knows the grace of God in Christ. So it will be if you go with us that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you you too can enjoy the privileges and the benefits of belonging to the people of God. And then the the most famous one of all, right? These words are so familiar to us from Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess congregation. She did not belong to the people of God. She was not a covenant child. She had no claims whatsoever to the people of God. But look at these touching words. Do not urge me to leave you. Or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, you see that? Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Congregation, that is an identity transfer, isn't it? That is this Moabite woman saying, I sat under, the, uh, under the, the, the heel of master sin for so long. But now I choose to sit under the, yeah, not the heel, but I choose to become the slave of this master, master righteousness. And no amount of persuasion to the contrary will persuade me. Dear young people, that would be the happiest moment of your life. If you would, on your knees before God, say, your people will be my people. How earnestly we desire to hear those words from your mouth. Your people will be my people. That you would, as it were, come and lay your hand upon the waters of baptism that took place here. And say, what my parents did for me so many years ago, now I come.
And I say, I'm going to join myself to that group. I'm going to belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, in body and soul, in life and in death. And Ruth swears in oath, thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. That's faith, congregation. That's faith. And God honors faith where he sees it. And he incorporates all such people amongst his people, adopts them as children into his family, and makes them his own. That is the happiest moment that ever can happen in the life of a person. And what are the privileges of belonging to the people of God? Well, congregation, the catechism gives us that. The catechism gives us that. And I want to correlate the catechism here with Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 8, we read, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first privilege, no condemnation. And in the catechism, it says, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. No condemnation. And in the second place, congregation, no tyranny. No tyranny. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Congregation, don't kid yourself. Behind master sin is Satan himself. If you are a slave to master sin, you are a slave to Satan. But when we join the people of God by faith in Christ, God sets us free from the tyranny of the devil. And congregation, no separation. Romans 8 began with, there is therefore now no condemnation. But at the end of the chapter, it says that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And our catechism says, because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. No separation then. Eternal life walking and living for Him. That's the privilege, congregation, of being a member of the people of God by faith. And I close the sermon this evening, congregation, by the story of Alivianus. You know that Caspar Alivianus was one of the authors of this catechism. And when Alivianus came to the end of his life, as he lay there on his deathbed, one of the people around came. His name was Ulsted. And he came to Alivianus. And he says, Alivianus, are you dying in the hope of the comfort that you have taught to others? Are you dying in the hope of the comfort that you have taught to others? And Alivianus was very weak. He was dying. And he had only one word. And he said, I put it there in the notes, certissimus. Now that's the Latin superlative for certain. Most certain. Now isn't that beautiful? Certissimus. And congregation, we're all going to come to our last day. There's an empty place right over here where a brother gathered with us week after week. And he's not here anymore. And soon, your places will be empty and mine too. But if on that last day, congregation, if on that last moment, as our life is expiring, we can take hold 
of this. I am not my own. Then we too can say with Livianus, certissimus, I know for a certain that my hope will not make me ashamed, but God will take me home to himself, to a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. Certissimus, congregation, I hope you take that with you throughout this week. Can I ask you to do that, young people? I challenge you to take that word with you this week, certissimus. What if you have in your life, in your religion, in your confession, to match that? If you're walking with Christ, then you have that in your hand. Promise that can never forsake you. You know, I know, young people, I know you desperately want to belong. You desperately want to belong to a group. Here's the group to belong to. This is the group. This is the group that will do you well. This is the group that will give you hope in life and hope in death. Certissimus. God bless it. For his name's sake. Amen. Almighty God, there are so many things in this life that waver and that shake and that are uncertain, unreliable. We can't rest on them. But Lord, our catechism gives us a rock to stand on tonight that shall never be shaken. A rock of ages. Our parents stood on this rock. Our grandparents stood on it. Our great-grandparents. Family that we never met, Lord, they're now in glory with you. But they said certissimus. They stood on the promise of the gospel of not belonging to themselves. They abandoned themselves. They abandoned their own heart. They left it behind. And they took hold of master righteousness. They took hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they followed him. They joined themselves to the people of God by grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Oh God, I pray earnestly that not one person would leave this house of prayer tonight. Still under the bondage of master sin. Still under the tyranny of the devil. But oh, that they would leave, taking fast hold of the people of God. That with Hobab of old, O oh Lord, they would go with the people of God to that promised land. That with Moses they would choose rather to suffer ill treatment and reproach with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That with Joseph they would cry out, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin against the God with whom I am in covenant, the God who saved me, the God who loves me and cares for me, the God who put me in this church, the God who gives me his gospel. Lord, please remember us then in your mercy. Bind us together as a congregation. Go with us in this week. Lord, may the grand cry of victory, certissimus that we heard this evening, may it go with us. Lord, may it be on our lips. May it be in our heart. And no matter what we may face this week, Lord, may we face that obstacle, that trial, that pain, whatever it may be, with this grand cry of victory. I am not my own. I am not my own. Lord, help us to believe it even when we can't see it, and to take refuge in it, to glory in it, to make it our boast. I am not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, will you remember us then in your mercy. Bless us this evening. Glorify your name in our lives and through our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.